what I'd like you all to do, and I know some of you really like to do this, is take a big yawn right now, okay? Just, oh, a deep breath, just yawn. Take that air in and expel it. Yes, I see some of you try to yawn while I preach at times, but, you know, you're covering your mouth. It's okay. I just gave you permission. So, you know, you get a good deep breath. Take that air in and breathe it out. And we're going to come back to that point a little later. What I find most interesting as Luke narrates the story, the life, the teachings of Jesus, he finishes last week with his great parable of the, of, of the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's a parable that even unbelievers know. A parable about who is your neighbor. We heard uh, our seminarian, uh, Daniel Brummett, preach on that. Next week, Jesus is going to have his great teaching in the Lucan Gospel on the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Teach us to pray, Lord. And he gives a teaching on prayer, and that's for next week. But sandwiched between these two really important pericopes, these two readings that the church has from the Gospel of Luke, is this short little story tucked between these two. I mean, of all the things that Jesus said and did and taught, seriously, a family conflict? But as I said, I think it's a cautionary tale, and it really has more to say than at first blush we may think. We're told that a woman named Martha opens her home, welcomes Jesus in. This is a very important hospitality in the Middle East, hospitality back in those days, as well as still today in the Middle East and those parts is exceedingly important. You heard that in the first reading, how Abraham greeting these strangers that showed up and really basically opened his home, his, and he prepared a meal, and he pr provided for them. And so it's a big deal. So this invitation of Martha to have Jesus in is really significant. And by inviting him in, she now has to prepare everything. Just like Abraham was preparing, well, like, really he told his wife to prepare everything. And, uh, but so everything he had to get, every, she has to get everything ready. All right? And then the other person we're introduced to, Luke introduces us to, is her sister Mary. And Mary's probably the younger of the two because Martha's the one that invites Jesus in. So she's probably the uh, matron of the home. And so Mary we're told, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Again, this is very significant if you understand rabbinic teaching. Because you see, to sit at the feet of a rabbi meant that you were a disciple. You are one that follows the, your master, the rabbi. So by Luke saying that, Jesus, that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus means that she is a disciple and she is receiving and Jesus is speaking. What's remarkable is at the time, Jewish rabbis would never allow a woman to sit at his feet, okay? In fact, in synagogues, they were relinquished. The women were in the back of the synagogue, usually behind some screen. Only the men were permitted in front near the rabbi. But here Jesus actually has Mary sitting at his feet, a disciple, the posture of a disciple. And what is interesting, on just another note, it is the Gospel of Luke that highlights more than any other Gospel 
the significant role of women in the life of Jesus, beginning, of course, with his blessed mother, who said yes to the angel. So, now we find Jesus, who we're told is speaking, all right? In other words, he's teaching. And by implication, Jesus is with his apostles. And so there's more than just Jesus and Mary there and Martha. More than likely, when, Jesus, when Martha opened her home up, she was having who else? At least the 12 disciples. So there was a lot of preparation, as you can imagine. Well, as Jesus is teaching, and there is pious Mary listening to every word that was spilling out of the lips of Jesus. Martha, it doesn't take a Hollywood imagination to think what's going on with Martha. As she is going back and forth, throwing the dishes on the dining table and walking back staring at Mary. She finally has got so frustrated, she throws her apron on the ground, marches up to Jesus, hands on her hips and says, Lord, don't you care? My sister's left me all by myself to get all this preparation done for you. Wow, that's a pretty bold, isn't it? I mean, this is a famous rabbi at this time. But her frustration level got so high that she just couldn't contain herself. Have you been thinking about me, Jesus? You know, I'm the one that invited you in. I have to get all this stuff ready. And this sister of mine is just sitting on her tush listening to you. Tell her to get out of the pew and get into the kitchen. Tell her. Think about that. Tell her to help me. That's a prayer. Think about it. I mean, don't when we ask God, you know, God, please do this. We're asking God for something. Well, here Mary is asking Jesus, who is the Son of God, God Himself, tell her to help me. This is my petition. Now, remember what I said, and just put this into the back of your mind. I think this story is strategically placed between the Good Samaritan parable. And the parable about and the story and the teaching of Jesus on prayer for a very important reason. Here Martha is praying. Okay. What would prompt Martha to do such an audacious thing? Well, Luke informs us that Martha was the the word could be translated was distracted or it could be translated as burdened. She was burdened or distracted with much serving. Another interesting clue as to what Luke may be getting at is the word that he uses for serving. The Greek word is diakonia. We get our word deacon and deaconess, ministers. So, actually, it could be translated, Martha, burdened with much ministry, came up to Jesus. You see, she forgot 
why she was inviting Jesus in in the first place. She became so burdened. And then Jesus goes on to analyze her interior life by saying, Martha, Martha, and, and the, and the re repetition of her name is great affection. All right? Great affection. Martha, Martha. Of course, I care for you is the implication, but you are worried, you are anxious, you are distressed and troubled about many things. What I find interesting is that the word anxious there, or could be translated distressed, Paul uses that very word in Philippians when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I think, in one sense, this story is directed not just to us all, but to those especially who are in ministering positions of the church. And I can speak for myself at times, and I'm sure Pastor Melky, I'm sure Pastor Veith at some point will also feel this, and any one of us who have been in church work, school teachers, whatever, you sometimes feel burdened. And the joy of the ministry has just been lost. Because you're worried, you're anxious. You feel, you know what Martha felt like? Why was she anxious? Because she felt all alone. Have you ever felt all alone? Like, does anybody really care about Rob Schallhorn? A little pity party, sure. But have you ever had that? I mean, this is so real, and it happens. It happens to all of us, and it especially can happen to those who are in ministering positions of the church. You just feel overwhelmed and burdened, and you lose your joy. You lose your purpose somewhere along the way. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. About many things. So in her heart, it wasn't just about the dinner party. There was a lot more going on inside of Martha's mind. Maybe you're not a control freak, but I will bet you you know one. What does a control freak like to do? Oh, come on. Control everything, right? <laughs> it's the elephant in the closet. Oh, no, I'm not a control freak. Please do this. You know, a control freak wants to control because then they have power. And they can order, here's one, two, three, four, five, here's A, B, C, D, E. And control freaks, well, in the church, it's, it's dangerous. You see, this is the Martha complex, if you want to call it that. And what happens is, you can actually believe that busyness is faithfulness. That if I'm busy, I look busy, I'm doing things, I want to make sure that people know I'm doing this, then it makes me like, oh my gosh, Pastor Schellner is just so faithful because I'm so busy. Busy. Yeah. Busyness equals faithfulness. That's the first problem with the Martha complex. The second, <laughs> I'm sure none of you do this because none of you judge anybody else, right? Sure. 
you know, look at them. Gosh, look at that perfect family. They just sit in church and everything is wonderful. Here, my life is going to hell. It's so easy to become critical of others, isn't it? You know, I find it a lot easier to look at others and criticize them than to look at myself and criticize me. Am I alone? I don't think so. I don't think so. And so not only is the problem with Martha, busyness equals faithfulness, and a judging, critical spirit, but number three is perhaps the most indicting of all. Misguided or misappropriated priorities. In other words, here's the priorities in my life, and I have this all down, and God, I want you to make sure everything in the priorities of my life fall in place. And so here's number one for me, here's number two, number three, and number four. And whether this be in the ministry of the church or in the ministry of my family or whatever, this is my top five. And so please comply. All right. And Martha was pretty bold. I think sometimes we are, and we don't even realize it. Uh, I've been in church work long enough. I have seen people who are very active in the church. I mean, oh my gosh, they're in the kitchen. They're doing this, they're doing, you name it, they're doing it. But I never see them where? In church. I've been in church work long enough, and I've met a lot of pastors where they live a double life. The one who preaches in the pulpit, who, 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 who celebrates the Mass, the, the uh, Holy Eucharist, is somebody totally different, privately in a way. Misguided priorities are deadly. Martha's problem and people like Martha become so preoccupied with the urgent, they forget what's important, what's necessary. They're so scurrying around and they're so fervent about this, doing this, I have to do, get this done, they forget. My mother, years ago, and we had, we had four girls in five years, so just think of that, <laughs> all right? You know, and, and, you know, my wife would say, oh my gosh, our girls acted up in church. I said, well, just have them be quiet. Of course, I never had to sit with them, all right? <laughs> Ever. <laughs> but my mother, who raised six kids, and she had five in five years, okay, she wrote, uh, she gave us this little, I don't know what you call it, where you take a needle point and you make a nice little thing that you hang on the wall, all right? And it hung on our wall for years, and this is what it said. Cleaning and scrubbing can wait till tomorrow. For babies grow up, we've learned to our sorrow. So quiet down, cobwebs. Dust, go to sleep. 
I'm rocking my baby, and babies don't keep. I'm 70 years old. I'm a grandfather of 10 grandchildren, praise God. And I think, oh, how true that statement is. You know, at the time, it's like, oh, my gosh, really? (laughs) Diapers, I mean, all this stuff, all this burden. But you know, it really does pass so quickly. And sometimes we forget to pause and take that deep breath and enjoy the moment. Martha couldn't enjoy the moment that Jesus was the guest in her house because she was so distracted and anxious. Jesus basically saying, take a deep breath, Martha. Take a deep breath. He says, you know, Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things. There is only one thing needful. There's only one thing necessary. Your sister Mary has chosen the good portion that can't be taken away from her. My brothers and sisters, a lot of things can be taken away from us. A lot of things. Our health, our jobs, our money, our very life. The lives of those we love. But there's one thing that can't be taken away from us, and that is love. Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love lasts forever. And love means a relationship, and a relationship we have with Jesus, and a relationship we have with others who we love, and who love Jesus. This is called the communion of saints. You see, sometimes we can be preoccupied with so many things we forget that relationship and love is the most important things of all. You see, the ear must inform the heart and the heart then informs the hand. We need to receive before we can ever give. We need to have a relationship with Jesus. Because, you know, the truth was that he was the host that day. Martha was the guest. He was serving the banquet of his word. But she lost it all in the flurry of what she was doing. I just want you to take away three lessons, short lessons from this text. Number one, I've said it before, said it again right now, the Word of God has to shape your priorities. Let the Word of God shape your priorities, which means you have to hear God's Word, okay? You have to absorb it. Let it inwardly digest in you. Number two, this is really important too, Serving in the church, serving others, should never replace worship. And that's why also I think that this story of Martha and Mary is placed strategically after the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Because, you know, I know unbelievers. I know people who are not Christians, but they know the Good Samaritans. Oh, yeah, see, this is what's so important. We've got to serve our neighbor. Absolutely. Jesus teaches us that. But if all you do is serving your neighbor, but you never sit and listen at the feet of Jesus, it doesn't make a difference. You can be really busy, but busyness is not faithfulness. So serving should never replace worship, ever. And number three, worship in its very essence is not what we do for the Lord, but what we receive from the Lord. The Mass, the Eucharist, the divine worship of God is that God's people gather at the banquet table of His Word and of His meal. We come as hungry people, as guests to receive. In that reception, we offer our thanks to Him. We are reminded of who we are, that we are His, and we are sent into this world to glorify Him. Worship is not what we offer to God as much as what God offers to us. His forgiveness, His life, His salvation. So, with all that said and done, I think what was not said at the end of this story is that Mary got up and helped her sister. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand.